Uh, I actually was chuckling to myself this week as I was continually studying this and praying for it and writing notes is, you know, last week uh, having my testimony video played and here I am in the, in the beginning of my testimony video talking about my, my experiences as, as when I was younger and not liking the church, not wanting to be part of the church, actually despising the church. And then I was chuckling because I'm like, man, and then I get to preach the sermon on the church. I mean, this is awesome. Um, which was good because it even caused me this week, actually the last couple of weeks, to kind of look at some things and really uh, not wrestle with them in the sense of not understanding it or agreeing with it, but just wrestling with my own understandings of things when it comes to the church and my own awe of the church. Um, Because I'm just, you know, let's kind of put it out there. It's really easy to not be in awe of the church. Um, In fact, it's really easy to be more negative towards the church. Um, I find myself, it's very easy to fall into negativity towards God's church. Um, It's really easy to nitpick things in God's church. And uh, so this, again, from even myself, this week has been interesting uh, as I was finalizing and putting notes together. But last week, Pastor Matt did an amazing job of, of putting before us the hope that we have in Jesus, talking about, you know, the, the gospel, like this moment in this long story short, right? This, this moment of all of the stuff we've been processing through and all the stuff of the Old Testament and then getting to the New Testament and, and the gospels and, and finally seeing what it all led to, this moment of Jesus's life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, the hope that he gives to us, the message of the gospel that he gives to us, and and the fact that God loves us more than we can ever even understand. I mean, that's something that's hard for me to grasp, uh, is the fact that even if I think that I have an understanding of God's love for me, I haven't even come close to scratching the surface of God's love for me. Um, the, the, the reality of this, re, you know, the, this understanding of God's love will not even be comprehended on this side of eternity in its full. It, it's only until we stand before him that we fully are going to understand the love that he has for us. And, and that was what we processed through when we talked about last week in, in this story. But um, as I was thinking about the church, I, I had this moment where I was like, you know what, there's, there's a very important part of the gospel that unfortunately I think we neglect a lot. And, and that's where I want to start this morning as we process through this, is a part of the gospel that we neglect. And, and Jesus says this as he's preparing his disciples uh, for his uh, death. Um, and he's preparing them that, that final moments with them. And he says to them, he says, listen, I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, or in some translations, the comforter, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, when I say that there's a part of the gospel that I think we neglect, here's the part that I think we neglect a lot. The gospel is actually incomplete. Now, hear me on this. Jesus' death and his resurrection is where we focus many times on the gospel. But we are actually doing a disservice because the gospel is incomplete if we leave out the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Right? We talk a lot about Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, and we should because that's a major aspect of the gospel, the good news. Jesus died for our sins. He rose again. But we are actually focusing on, on, on an incomplete gospel if we leave out the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the world. Think about it this way. Jesus is the provider of the gospel. Jesus provides forgiveness. Jesus provides salvation. Jesus provides the way for us to return back to a relationship with God. Jesus provides righteousness and holiness. Jesus provides these things. But the Holy Spirit is the supplier. Right? Jesus is the provider, but the Holy Spirit is the supplier. See, if we didn't have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit working in our lives and the work and the ministry that He has, the death of Jesus on the cross, the resurrection from the tomb would be 
insignificant because it's not given to us until the Holy Spirit brings it to us. Jesus is the provider, but the Holy Spirit is the supplier. Jesus goes on in chapter 16 of John as he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, listen, he says, he being the Spirit, he says, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will, re- it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Now in context, he's talking about the truth that the Holy Spirit will give to us. But I think there's a little bit more to this than just the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Notice what Jesus says. He's like, listen, all that belongs to the Father is mine. And the Holy Spirit is going to make that known to you. He's like, what I have, he's going to give to you. So I just want to process for a moment and, and realize we're going to get to talking specifically about the church here in a moment, but we need to understand the working of the Holy Spirit because it's through the Holy Spirit that, Holy Spirit that the church even exists. What is it the Spirit has made known to us in Jesus. So we understand a complete gospel that Jesus provided it. Now the Spirit is supplying it. So what are some of the things that the Spirit, uh, the Spirit has made known to us? First is this. The Spirit has made known to us righteousness. If it wasn't for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, if it wasn't for the working of the Holy Spirit, Jesus proclaimed righteousness. Jesus provides righteousness, but the Holy Spirit supplies righteousness. In fact, Paul tells us this. He says, he saved us not because of the work done by our righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Notice again, it doesn't say that Jesus is the one that washed us. It doesn't say that Jesus is the one that renewed us and regenerated us. Jesus provided the ability for it to happen, but it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit that actually brings righteousness into our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that brings the right relationship that we need. Scripture talks about us being sealed with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, bringing the righteousness of Jesus into our lives. He has made known to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The second thing that the Spirit does for us, or has made known for us, is He brings us eternal life. See, we talk about, again, Jesus is the giver of life, which is true. Jesus, again, provides the way of eternal life. Jesus provides forgiveness. Jesus brings us from death into life because of his death and his resurrection. But again, even Jesus said this in the Gospel of John. It is the Spirit who gives life. It is the Spirit that gives life. Again, Scripture says we have the Spirit as that deposit of our inheritance. He is the supplier of life because Jesus provided it to be possible. There's a lot of things we can talk about with the ministry of the Spirit, but the last one I want to give us this morning, righteousness He's made known to, to us, eternal life He's made known to us, and the last thing I want, you to, want us to understand is He's made known to us our victory, and our authority in Jesus. The Bible tells us that it is the Spirit that testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. It is the Holy Spirit and His ministry in our lives that tells us that we are right with Jesus, that we are forgiven, that we are redeemed, that we are accepted, that we are one in the family. It is the Spirit that testifies with us that we are children of God. He tells us of our victory in Jesus. But Scripture also tells us this. Jesus actually said in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives is He is the source of our victory. He is the source of our authority provided through Jesus. But again, He is the supplier of these things. In fact, Scripture tells us, Paul tells us in Romans, he says, listen, this is how amazing the Holy Spirit is. The Spirit who rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. 
The Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. He is the supplier of victory. He is the supplier of authority that we have as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is good for me to leave you. It is good for me to go away because if I didn't go away, the supplier wouldn't come. All I can do is provide it, but I'm leaving because he's coming and he's supplying it. That's what Jesus is telling us when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. I think if all of us would sit here and be, because here's, here's, I'm even at times very confused when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And I think if most Christians would, if we sat down and talked about it right now, many of us might scratch our heads and be like, yeah, he, that confuses me. He confuses me. I don't know much about the Holy Spirit. I don't, I don't understand much about I get Father. I get Jesus. Holy Spirit, kind of strange. And the unfortunate thing is, is most churches and most Christians, we just avoid the topic of the Holy Spirit. But if we really looked at Scripture, and we really looked at what the New Testament especially tells us, <laughs> We can't live this life without understanding and knowing the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example from my own life that I've been trying to do more often. And, and, and it, it seems weird because I never did this growing up, and, and I'm trying more often to do this. We believe, and Scripture is clear, that, that of the Trinity. One God, three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um. All God, all equal, right? Um, one is not superior over the other, all equal, um, all the Godhead. Do you ever notice, I, I noticed this, uh, you ever notice how uh, many times when we pray, we, we pray like this, um, dear Heavenly Father, or dear, or, or Jesus, we refer to Jesus. How many times have you ever prayed to the Holy Spirit? I had this thought. I'm like, you know what? He's, he's a person. He, he's part of the Trinity. I pray to Jesus a lot. I pray to the Father a lot. Spirit's just kind of off in the corner like, I'm the one that supplies this stuff. Why aren't you talking to me? Right? Why aren't you talking to me? I'm the one that supplies the gospel in your life. I'm the one that supplies the power and authority in your life and the victory in your life. I'm the one that gives you, it's, I kind of give you an example, again, an example of this is, is there's been times in my life where I've sat there and I've said, you know, oh Lord, I'm struggling in my faith. Or I'll sit there and say, Lord, are are you even, you know, are you there? Do you care about me? Like basically what I'm saying is, Lord, I need the assurances that my position with you is secure. I need assurances that you are with me. I need you to testify to my spirit that I am your child and I've always been there and said like father please show me that Jesus please show me that but scripture says it's the spirit that tells me that so I'm referring I'm like Jesus please remind me he's like well, why don't you talk to the spirit he's the one that it, that's the work he does in your life talk to him pray to him we we neglect the Holy Spirit. We neglect the work that he does. We, re, we, we neglect the work that he has in the gospel. Oh, went too far there. In Luke, Jesus actually says this. He says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Again, why would Jesus say this unless he was trying to show them? He's like, listen, I've provided the gospel. I'm the one that, I've died. I'm res- this is after the death. This is after his resurrection. This is when he's preparing to ascend. He's like, listen, guys, the gospel's not finished yet. The work is not finished yet. yet. Yes, and we focus a lot on when Jesus was on the cross and he says, it is finished. Like that was, yeah, he died for our sins. That was finished. But then the resurrection had to happen so that new life was possible that we could become new creations, that he became the first fruits of this life free of sin, 
free of the curse, free of bondage, free to live for Jesus, free as children of God. But then he was saying, listen, stay in the city because there's another promise coming. What my father has promised will come. Stay in the city until you receive and are clothed with this power from on high. Can I make us stop and think about something for a moment? Is one of the reasons that maybe many of us in our Christian life and maybe one of the reasons our churches don't experience the power that is on high is because we're neglecting that part of the gospel. Right? An incomplete gospel. Yes, Jesus died for me. Yes, he rose again. And oh my goodness, he poured out the Holy Spirit into this world. Now, why is all of this important? Because when we look at the long story short, and we come to this moment after the resurrection, and then we enter into Acts, the book of Acts, we see the birth of the church. Now, here's the thing. The church was not born because the disciples and the apostles and all the believers sat around and said, you know what we need to do? We need to form a church, right? Right? Uh, you know what we need to do? We need to form some programs and some ministries. <laughs> you know what we need to do? We need to elect some, you know, committee chairs. That's what we need to do. That's not what birthed the church. What birthed the church was the arrival of the Holy Spirit. What birthed the church was when God chose to pour out himself and clothe his people with power from on high. This is what birthed the church. In the beginning of Acts, we see the moment the church came into existence. We see the moment that the Holy Spirit was poured out. Can I tell you right now, that was the moment that the gospel was completed. The coming of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring upon his people was the moment that the full gospel was completed. The death, the resurrection, and the empowerment of his people is the entirety of the gospel. And here's what I think is interesting when you look at this. Here we are in Advent, we're celebrating, we're thinking about remembering the birth of Jesus. Jesus entered our world with humility, right? Think about this. Jesus entered the world with humility. He was born unknown by almost everyone. Hardly anybody knew of the birth of Jesus. Came in under the radar. Born in a manger. Servant. King of the universe. Laid in a feed trough. But when the Holy Spirit entered the world, he entered the world with power. And he turned the world upside down. And he's been doing it ever since. See, Jesus came in very much unknown. <laughs> the Holy Spirit rocked an entire city. Go and look at the, the story of this in the beginning of Acts, and we hear about the believers gathered together in prayer, and they're, they're in the room, and they're all together, and they're, they're seeking after God together, and it says that all of a sudden, the sound of like rushing water and wind and just, I, I can't even imagine this, just the intensity of this moment of this powerful wind just poured out upon them, poured, poured out upon them. And then what looked like flaming tongues came and rested upon each one of them. And that wasn't even where it stopped. All of a sudden, the apostles and the believers filled with the Holy Spirit, they were timid and fearful and hiding in a room flung open the doors and marched out into the crowd and started proclaiming Jesus to where the entire city was like, what in the world is going on? And thousands of people came to know Jesus in a moment just because the Holy Spirit showed up. Had nothing to do with the apostles. They weren't devising a plan on how to reach the city. <laughs> they were probably praying, we have no clue what to do next. What do you want us to do? What do you want us, what, 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 what comes after this? Jesus ain't here. Peter, what do we do? Peter's like, I don't know. Don't ask me. 
Holy Spirit shows up and the world changes. They change. See, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the creation of the church is evidence that the gospel is real. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the creation of the church is God's evidence to the world that the gospel is real. This is our number one primary reason for existence is to proclaim that the gospel is real. So, there's some foundational stuff on the Holy Spirit of like who He is, at least is, is the work that He does. And, and here's the thing. We could go on and on and on about the Holy Spirit. This is just a little piece. And this is the birth of the church. Him being poured out, clothed from on high with the Holy Spirit. But now we're going to process a little bit because now we've had the birth of the church. So let's talk a little bit about well, what is the church? This moment that the Spirit created this thing we call the church and empowered us and has been changing the world ever since. So let's process that for a moment. What is the church? I'm not going to focus on Acts. There's a lot of great stuff in Acts. Talking about how the, the church functioned together. They were one and united. And how they, the, the fellowship and being dedicated to the apostles' teaching. And all of the stuff that's recorded in Acts of how the church functioned. We're actually going to look at the words of Jesus to answer this question. What is the church? Jesus said this in Matthew. He said, I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. There are four things that we're going to process through just in this one statement of Jesus that I believe tells us what the church is. And I hope as we go through this, as we, as we process through this, we, we get a new understanding or at least a fresh understanding of the beauty of the church. Um, but let's pause for a moment and just put this out there for us uh, collectively together. Uh, so we're all on the same page with this. While the church is amazing and the church should, we should be in awe of the church and we should be in love with the church and we should be excited about the church, uh, let's also just put it out there so we're all on the same page. The church is still made up of messy, broken people. <laughs> and sometimes um, our experiences with church camp, they're not all that fun. And again, they can make us be very negative towards the church. And they could be, make us be negative towards being part of the church. You know, a few months back we did our church hurt series because that's a reality. Being wounded by the church. So here's the thing. As we process through this this morning, um, can we all agree on something? The church is not perfect. And never will be perfect until we all stand before Jesus in glory. Um, in fact, every single person in this room, if you're part of the church, we're part of the reason the church is broken because we're broken. <laughs> we bring this into the church. That's the reality of it, right? So that doesn't mean that we still don't strive to grow. It doesn't mean we don't strive to do better. It doesn't mean that we don't have to take ownership of the ways that we mess up and the ways that we fail. But what I want us to understand as we process through this is if the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church is the completion of the gospel. Is it any wonder that the enemy wants you to not be excited about God's church? Is it any wonder he wants us to be negative towards God's church? Right? He's fooled us into stepping back and saying, oh, I love Jesus. I love that part of the gospel. Oh, Jesus' death, his resurrection, that's amazing. I even like the Holy Spirit. But the birth of the church is the exclamation point completing the gospel. And this is why the enemy wants us to not be excited and not be in awe of God's church. So as we go through, this, go through these this morning, I just want to... I want us to just pause for a moment and realize that as, as we're going through this, there, you might have moments, because I've had these moments where 
God will show me something. I'll be like, oh, that's amazing. And I was like, yeah, but God, but the church is really messed up. <laughs> and, I, and I almost want to discredit what God's trying to say. So I just want us to realize that tension as we go through this, because hopefully the next four things will get us a little excited and in awe of how amazing God's church is. So I tell you the truth, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So first thing, what is the church? The church is the redeemed of God. The church is the redeemed people of God. This is the church. We say this all the time, right? The church is not the building. The church is not the programs. The church is not the ministries. The church is the people. We say this all the time, but I don't think we really fully understand or or we might miss. I I don't want to put that on anybody. Maybe you completely understand this, but I think there's times where we neglect the significance of this. Why did Jesus start this statement by saying to Peter, hey, you are Peter? Right? Why did he start the statement that way? Well, here's the thing. If you don't know this, originally Peter's name was Simon. And when he first started following Jesus, Jesus changed his name to Peter. Now, in the Bible, the purpose of a name change, the reason God changes names, is he's establishing a new identity with a person. He's saying, listen, you were this, but now because of me, this is who you are. So you were Simon, but now you're Peter. Right? We see this in Scripture. You were Abram. Go back to Old Testament. You were Abram. Now you're Abraham. You were Jacob. Now you're Israel. God establishes a new identity. When Jesus looks at Peter and he says, You are Peter. I tell you that you are Peter. He's reminding Peter That he is a new creation because Jesus made him a new creation. He's saying, Peter, I tell you, you are Peter. I tell you who your identity is. He's telling Peter, listen, Peter, because of me, because of your faith in me, because of your willingness to follow me, Peter, you are radically transformed. You are new. You're Peter. That's who you are. Now I want us to kind of think about this a little bit because there's a word play here, right? Jesus says, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. If you look up the meaning of the word Peter, it does mean stone or rock, but it actually means an individual stone, right? That's the, that's the meaning of the word individual. You are Peter, an individual rock, an individual stone. And then when he says, and on this rock, so some people have made this connection between the two of saying, well, Jesus was saying like Peter is going to be the leader of the apostles and it's on the rock of Peter that he's going to build the church and on the leadership of Peter and all these things. But if you actually look at the meaning of the word rock that Jesus used, what it actually means is bedrock or a foundation of bedrock. Not an individual stone, a foundation of bedrock. Now here's why I share that and why I think it's interesting. I think Jesus is reminding Peter, Peter, you are my redeemed new creation, new identity. That is who you are. That is who I'm making you. And on this bedrock, on this foundation, I'm going to build my church. What is the foundation? The foundation of the church is that we are the redeemed, transformed, made new people of God with Jesus as the cornerstone. 
The foundation of the church is not the building. It's not the pastor. It's not the programs. It's not the ministries. It's not even the the mission statement. It's not the logo. It's none of these things. It's not the worship style. It's none of these things. The foundation of the church is that we are the radically redeemed and transformed people of God with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. This is the foundation of the church. This is what we mean when we say the people are the church. It's the people that have been made new through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Radically transformed, radically changed. The redeemed of God. The second thing I think Jesus is telling us is not only are we the redeemed of God, the church is also the building of God. Jesus says, I will build. I will build my church. On this rock, I will build. Now when we think about this for a moment, I want us to understand three ways in which Jesus builds his church through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus builds up, Jesus builds in, and Jesus builds out. That's what Jesus wants for his church. Church, He wants us to build up, he wants us to build in, and he wants us to build out. Because we are the building of the church. We are the workmanship of Jesus Christ. Not just as individuals, but collectively as the church. We are the workmanship of Jesus. You know, a lot of times we'll, we'll look at that from Ephesians where, where it says, For you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And we, we get all excited about that as individuals. But the, the issue is, is that's not just an individual statement. Yes, as individuals, we've been, we've been created. We are God's workmanship. You have been created to do good works, but collectively as a church, we have been created to do good works. We are God's workmanship, and that which Jesus has started, he will complete. So think about this just for a moment. First off, as the church, he is building us to build up. What, is he, what do I mean by building up? As the church, he is constantly building us as people, collectively together to glorify him, to worship him, to mature in our image of Jesus. We are building up as we are journeying closer and closer to the heart of God. I hope that's true for your life. I hope it's true that as Christians, as individuals, we are constantly desiring to build up in our faith and build up in our devotion and build up in our worship and build up in in, in desiring to glorify Him and to, to mature in our faith and not just as individuals, to do that collectively for one another. You know, because one of the things we need to understand is the church is it doesn't matter how far forward we travel in our journey of faith. If we're not collectively trying to bring one another along with us, it's all in vain. Because we're supposed to be built up together. Maturing in the faith together. Worshiping God together. Glorifying God together. We're called as the church to build up. But we're also called to build in. Build up as we focus in our relationship with Jesus, but also build in as we love for and we care for and we support one another. The church, we are called to not only build up in our faith, but we're called to build up in our unity together. Our love and devotion for one another. Because we've been supernaturally bonded together. You know, this is one of the things that we've lost as, as civilization has gone on. But if you go back and you look at the Old Testament, and you look, or the New Testament, and you look at the birth of the church, and you look at a lot of the things that, that um, Christians then had to go through. The relationships in the church were some of the most important relationships these people would ever have because when they put their faith in Jesus, they lost everything else. Right? We, we kind of, today, we can kind of take it or leave it with our relationships with one another sometimes. Because we don't live in a society where we might lose everything else because of our faith. 
I was reminded of this last night that, that some people in our world today have to go through this. It was, I wasn't looking to watch this, but I was, you know, it's amazing how you can have like five streaming services and still can't find anything to watch. So I'm just like, oh my goodness, there's nothing on. It's like a million shows or movies and I can't find nothing. And as I'm fl- flipping through stuff, God's Not Dead came on. I was like, I haven't watched that movie for a while. So I was like, I'll watch God's Not Dead. So I was watching that last night and if you've never seen the movie, just as an example, there's a girl in there that, you know, Muslim faith. And there's a part in the movie where her, her dad finds out that she's a Christian and they banish her. He, his, her dad grabs her by the back of the neck and marches her down the stairs and chucks her out of the house and slams the door on her because she put her faith in Jesus. And I'm sitting there like, wow, if you ever talk, like that's a person that the only people she has is the church. <laughs> and that's all she's got. But, but we, we've lost that mentality that we've been called to. We are the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're called to love and care for and support one another. To spur one another along towards maturity in Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. Not only are we called to build up, or, you know, Jesus wants to build up, build in, but he also wants us to build out. That's the part where we're always called to be expanding and growing the foundation, right? We're always supposed to be growing and expanding, and God desires to bring more of the redeemed. He's always wanting to add to his church. He's always wanting to see more people come to know Jesus. Jesus says, I will build my church, and these are the three ways that he's going to build his church. He's going to build us up as we grow in our faith and maturity in Jesus. He's going to build in as we grow in our love and devotion for one another, and he's going to build out as we expand and reach more people to come to know Jesus. The health of a church, right? Our attitude towards the church is that's what we need to be committed to. As a church, are we committed together to build up, to build in, and to build out? That God be glorified, that we care and love for one another, and that we are reaching people for Jesus. Jesus says, I will build my church. The third thing I think Jesus is telling us in this statement is he's reminding us that the church is the possession of God. It belongs to Him. Right? It belongs to Him. Jesus says, I will build my church. My church. <laughs> this is important. These two words, my church. There's just two aspects of this I want us to focus on just for a moment this morning. There's a whole lot we could talk about again, but just two things, just real quick. First is this. When Jesus says it's my church, the first and most important thing I think we need to accept as Christians, myself included, is that his pleasure with his church is more important than my pleasure with his church. Let me give you what I mean by this. I'm guilty of this. Many times I've been guilty of this. And I guarantee a lot of us in this room, I'm not going to say everybody, but I'm going to say most of us, right? You ever left a church service and said things like this? I didn't really care for the music today. I didn't like that song. Man, that sermon was boring. I didn't care for what he had to say. I'm going to say this with all love and grace, but you're not going to like it. (laughs) Get over yourselves. Right? Same for me. Get over myself. It's not about me. Right? It's not about me. It's not about whether I like the song. It's not about whether I think it's the most modern version. It's not about whether... Here, I I had this thought, and I wrestled with this, because I'm like, God, is this right? And he's just like, yeah, it really is. Even the sermon, hear me this, hear me on this. The sermon isn't even about you, right? God really challenged, he's like, David, never get up on stage preaching a sermon with the congregation in mind. I'm like, wait a minute, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Like, we're here to be taught, right? And we're supposed to encourage, and we're supposed to, he's like, David, no, It's about my pleasure. Your first priority, even in preaching, is to bring glory to me. That's it. That's it. 
You bring glory to me, David. Don't care about what they think or what they feel or what your first job is to bring glory to me by proclaiming my truth. That's it. You you get up there and you speak my truth. I'm going to be pleased with my church. But see, we make it about us all the time, right? About my pleasure, right? I didn't really feel it today. Really? (laughs) What if we left going, Lord, did you feel it today? Right? Were you excited about the worship we gave? Were you excited about the songs that we sang? Man, were you excited, Lord, that your truth was proclaimed, that your scripture was proclaimed, that, that, man, were you excited? Were you pleased with what we just did? Lord, was your pleasure, were you pleased? Did you find pleasure in your church today? Right, but we even fall into the, t- the temptation of thinking it's about us even with ministries. Like, I don't think we should do that, or I don't think we should do this, or, or I, wanna, I want this ministry, or I think this program needs to be run. Listen, it's great for us to share our ideas. We should, we, should, we should work together to try to make things the best it can be. I'm not trying to say we don't. I'm not even trying to say we need to say, like, I feel or I think. That's great as we process, but at the end of the day, at the end of every discussion, at the end of every decision the church makes, it doesn't matter if you're pleased. It doesn't matter if I'm pleased. Are you pleased? Okay, we got two amens there. That was definitely an amen moment. I'm just, we can't really go back. That's awkward. But think about this. Think about how radically different the church would be if the number one priority for us was just to say, are you pleased? Amen. See, we're getting better. We're getting claps now. Okay, awesome. We wrote down. Exclamation point. All right. Are you pleased? That's the number one priority we need to have. Jesus, are you pleased? Now, here's the beauty of this. Hear me on this. Think about this. This is the awesome part. When he's pleased, (laughs) he's going to make you pleased. Think about that for a moment. When we wrestle with not being pleased with the church, it's not because... Here, when he's pleased, he'll make sure you're pleased. The second thing I want us to understand about this possession where Jesus says, my church, is not just all about his pleasure. It's also all about his authority. When Jesus says, it's my church, he's saying, it's my church. It ain't your church. It ain't your church and my church. It's my church. I'm the authority of the church. Something hit me this week that I thought was a really interesting, just a quick statement, but it, it, it just fit, right? <laughs> Jesus is the head of the church and he expects his body to cooperate. Right? So when Jesus says, I will build my church, he's saying, listen, I'm the authority of the church. It's not just about my pleasure. It's also about my authority. I'm the head. You're the body. Cooperate. Right? And guess what? When we cooperate... It brings him pleasure. And when he's pleased, we're pleased. Right? This is why Satan wants us to reverse it. I'm going to seek my pleasure, and then I'm never going to be pleased. So then I'm not going to like the church, and I'm going to be frustrated with the church. Jesus is like, you got it all backwards. Please me, I'll please you. And the way you please me is you fall under my authority. Because it's my church. Here's the last one. We're the army of God. All right? Not only are we the possession of God, we're the army of God. Jesus ends this statement by saying, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Here's the thing. You and I as Christians and as the church need to understand. We need to know, we need to understand, and we need to live in the authority that is ours in Jesus Christ through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I mean by that. (laughs) Jesus did not say, 
I will build my church and you will be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy. No, he said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome you. Think about the terminology here. Jesus is saying, it is not your job to circle the wagons and protect yourselves from the evils in the world. He says, you as the church are empowered and filled and given the authority to go attack the darkness of this world. Satan wants us to like hide and cover and be all concerned and worried and all those kind of things. He wants us to uh, shrink back and think that we have to basically survive. Jesus is saying, listen, I have empowered you. You will be empowered by my Holy Spirit with the authority to go take the fight to the very gates of Hades itself. Jesus went on to say, you are the light of the world. You know what's amazing about light? When you flip the light switch on in a room, darkness flees. Church, Jesus is telling us that because of the Holy Spirit in us and through us and the gospel he's provided for us, that you and I, are called to take the light of Jesus Christ into the darkest places of this world and darkness must flee from our presence. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. (laughs) That means that you have the authority (laughs) to make the darkness in your own life flee from you in your family, flee from you. In our community, flee from you. Listen, it's not because of me. Remember, we just got done singing the song, right? Not I, but Christ. But Jesus is saying, listen, I will build my church and the gates of Hades won't even be able to overcome you. But here's the thing I want us to understand and I need to understand this and God's doing a great job with me this week. This has been a great week, by the way. This has been an awesome week, by the way just for a number of reasons for me personally. But one of the things God has shown me a lot this week is this. Darkness will never fear you and it will never flee from you when you actively choose to live in it. You can't harbor darkness in one part of your life And expect the rest of it to flee from you. And this is where the enemy likes to get us. Because he likes us to think that we can protect certain areas where we know are outside the will of God. But yet we want to stand all powerful and authoritative and tell the rest of it to flee away. He laughs at us when we do that. Because he knows how foolish we are when we do it. But again, listen to what Jesus is saying. In him and through the power of the Holy Spirit, when we fall on our knees and put him in the authoritative place that he belongs in our lives and in the church, darkness must flee from us. But you can't make it fear you if you choose to live in it. Notice the last thing Jesus says after he makes a statement. Just to show you the authority that you have in him. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Does that not sound like some authority? Look at that. That's the authority that Jesus gives us through the Holy Spirit. I give you the keys and whatever you bind is bound and whatever you loose is loosed. Man, that's some authority if we would walk in it. So as we end, just quick, how do we respond to some of this? What are, what are some of the things, action steps you can take away from this? Just simply this. Three things, real, real fast. One, man, let's start being in awe of God's church. 
Man, if you're not in awe of it now, I encourage you to start praying every day, Lord, make me in awe of your church. And when I say the church, I'm not just talking blessed hope. I'm talking the, the universal church, but I'm also talking about this body that he's created, this place that he has placed us. Let's say, Lord, put me in awe of your church. That should be the desire of our heart every day. Let me grow in awe of your church. Second is this. Let's commit ourselves to the church. Right? Hear me what I say on this first and foremost. I'm not telling you to sign up like, hey, sign up for a ministry team or do this. Yeah, we should be involved. But what I mean is this. Let's commit to the church. And when I say that, I say let's be committed to the people first. Let's be committed to one another first. Right? Because if we're committed to one another, then when the hard times come or things happen that we don't necessarily agree with, man, we're not going to walk away so easily because we're not just walking away from maybe a ministry or walking away from, we're walking away from each other, right? Be committed to one another, the church, the redeemed people of God. Let's be committed to the church. And then finally, let's commit to investing in the church. Let's invest in this body, this local place that God has placed us. Let's invest in the church, right? If we are in awe of the church and we're committed to the people of the church, we're going to naturally want to invest in it. Meaning, let's pray for it. Let's love on it. Let's serve. But also, let's protect one another. Let's protect one another. Let's know that no matter what happens, we're going to protect one another. This is what he calls us to do because this is the beautiful creation of God, is the church. Let's pray. Ah. So with that being said, Holy Spirit, fill your church. It's, it's through you, the outpouring, being clothed from on high, the power from on high, Holy Spirit, it's you. That, that Jesus provided the way for you to come and for you to do the work that you now do, the ministry that you now have in our midst. So we ask that you descend and clothe our body, this place, with power from on high. That you supernaturally bind us together that goes beyond a mission statement or a vision statement, Lord. It goes beyond uh, ministries. It goes beyond programs. It goes beyond style. It goes beyond any of those things. Supernaturally bind us together because we are the redeemed people of God. Children of the King, binded together by the Holy Spirit. Or fill us with power, fill us with strength, fill us with compassion, fill us with the devotion that we need for one another, for you, that you be glorified. Jesus, blessed Hope Community Church, may we simply just please you. Let that be the desire of our heart. We give you praise in all of it. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.